Okay, so if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, um, for the last, of course not last week or the week before because we were gone, but for the last two or three weeks we've been talking about women in the church and basically the roles of women in the church, the roles of um, women in marriage, and uh, next week hopefully we'll be talking about the roles of women in ministry. So, And... Uh, Today specifically, I wanted to talk, and today we're going to read a lot of scripture, so I hope you guys are ready to just kind of run through the Bible. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh, 34, this is Paul speaking. <clears throat> he says, Women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. So, this is a scripture that a lot of uh, ministers, a lot of denominations have memorized, and uh, basically they, they use it um, pretty much to prohibit women from ministry, pretty much. And uh, the question that I want to ask is, is what is Paul trying to say? Now, when we study the Bible, we don't come to the Bible with our preconceived notions and try to make the Bible say what we want it to say. What we do when we come to the Bible is we investigate it, we study it, we delve into it, and the purpose is to seek and to see what God is truly saying to us, right? It's say like, for instance, if someone were someone that you're really close to was uh, like really far away from you and they wrote you a letter but they didn't but they wrote some things in it that you didn't understand what would you do you wouldn't just kind of well that's not important so I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna care about it right you would read it several times to try to get the meaning of it you would try to understand you might even call that person on the phone and say what were you trying to say here right and so because we love the person who is sending us this letter and uh, we want to understand what he's saying. We delve into it and we dig into it. It's just like we talked about before. Um, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings. It's the glory of his people to search out a matter. And God will purposely um, make things hard to find. Sometimes he does. Sometimes, Sometimes he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He will purposely sometimes make things difficult for us to find. And I think the reason why he does that to, is to see whether we care enough, whether we love what he's saying enough, whether we truly want to know him enough to dig, right? And it's like we talked about um, last time. Like all the precious things in the world, gold, diamonds, things of that nature, you don't find them just laying on the surface of the ground. Those are things that you have to dig for. Those are things that people invest tons of money to be able to find and to search and, and things. I used to love shows about um, people scuba diving on, on shipwrecks and trying to find gold off of old shipwrecks and things like that. And, you know, that's the way that we are with the Word of God. And again, we don't study, we don't delve into the Word of God to make it say what we want it to say. We delve into the Word of God and it's not... We who change the word, it's the word that changes us. And so in the process of studying the word of God, it's so that if God, if God needs to change us, he can change us. 
But we want to know what he's saying because we can't change if we don't know what he's saying, right? We can't become who he wants us to be. We can't be all that we can be unless we know what he's saying to us. And so that's why we delve into the word of God. It's not to have had knowledge. It's not so that uh, we can, uh, you know, just like the word says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so our search in Scripture and our desire to know God through the Scriptures is not so that we can one-up other people. It's not so that we can show how much knowledge, how much wisdom that we have. It's so that we can know Him more and we can understand Him. And so it's all about our relationship with Him, right? It's the whole thing about marriage. When you're married to a person, you want to know them. That's why you marry a person, right? So that you can truly get to know that person. And when you're in a marriage with someone, you know that person in ways that no one else knows. And in certain senses, when we are married to the Lord, we can know him in ways that other people don't don't necessarily. And I don't mean that just... I don't mean that in a knowledge way or a superior type of way. I mean in the way that... in an intimacy sort of way. Because that's the whole thing. God wants to be intimate with us. And so he gives us his word so that he can be intimate with us, right? We're intimate with the ones we know. And the more that we know about people, the more we're intimate with them. So, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, it says, Women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. Now, we can take this at face value. And we can say, women are not allowed to speak in church, right? But the thing is, is there are lots of scriptures that if you take at face value, you're going to have problems. The Bible, it says in a couple places, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, there are people that will take this scripture right here at face value and say, well, the Bible says women are not permitted to speak in church, but they're to keep silent. Well, it also says that men are to greet each other with a holy kiss. But you don't do that, right? It says that women are to wear head coverings when they're prophesying. But that's not enforced in most churches either. And it's not enforced in these churches that say women are not permitted to speak. The Bible also says that, you know, in our love for God, we're to hate our mother and our father and our brothers and our sisters. Well, are we technically, are we literally, are we really supposed to hate our mother and father and sister and brothers. No, right? And so there are things that we sense about God because we know his nature and his character. We know that I can't just take that scripture at face value because it does not seem right with the rest of scripture because, or with his character, which we know through the rest of scripture, right? And we know that the word of God cannot contradict itself. If the Word of God contradicts itself at any point, then we should throw it out complete, right? Mm -hmm. And the more, and the people that, all the people that you speak to that say, well, the Word of God contradicts itself, these are people who have not delved into it mm -hmm. and who have not studied it and who have not searched out the difficult things or the difficult seeming things and saw that no, they don't contradict themselves, rather they do tie in together as a whole. So we know that Jesus set women free. Jesus with the woman at the well set her free. Jesus with the, with the prostitute who came and wept on his feet. 
Um, it was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and learning him from him. And women did not do that in their times. Women were not allowed to sit at the feet of the rabbi and learn. I mean, they were technically allowed, but it's not something that would have happened. Mm -hmm. Right? Because women weren't good enough in their society. Women had no place learning because women's place in the home was just to be barefoot, pregnant, and whatever. Right? Mm -hmm. Women's, um, it's kind of, we, we talked about it in Genesis. The first thing that God the Bible, in the Bible, there's a principle called principle or first mention. If you go, whenever, the, whenever you're talking about a particular subject or particular issue, a lot of times, if you'll go to the first scripture that talks about that, it gives you understanding of what it's all about. And in Genesis 1, God created Eve to be a helper for Adam. And he said, and when, when he created Adam and Eve, he looked and he said, it's good. And he gave them a command to go out and, and possess the earth and to till it and to, and to multiply it and, to, and make it fruitful. And when, so when you read that, you see that God didn't create them as Adam's here and Eve is down here. Adam's in charge and Eve is just his servant to do his bidding. When God created man and woman, he created them equal. Okay? And so that is the first principle in the Bible of the relationship between men and women. Okay, and what happened is over time, we talked about this last time, but over time, people got away from what God had, in, had intentionally desi had originally desired, right? You see it immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, people immediately start going away from God, away from his purposes, away from the things and the way that he created males and females, the way that he created mankind to be, man went away from, right? You see it in the Tower of Babel. You see it in the, in the flood. You see it immediately. People's, after the fall, people's hearts turned away from God. And at the same time, there was always a people who still served God, who still followed Him, who still kept His ways. But the problem is, is again, people started to go away from God. God's original intention for male and female was to be equal co-heirs together in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And so mankind got away from that, and more and more, a woman became, began to be a, a possession of man, right? Began to be a servant to the man rather than to help her. And instead of being co-heirs, uh, women became to the point to where they had no say. Even in our own country, what it was less than a hundred years ago when women were given the right to vote. Before that, women could not vote in this country. And that's why I tell women all the time, you should vote. Because there was a time not long ago when you were not allowed as a woman in this country to vote. And so that's the thing. Even still... Even in our own present times, we are fighting this battle to get back to God's original intent. Did you have a question? Um, yeah. That's me. I have a, a book called um, something about like getting back to God's good design. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. But it's really cool. Yeah. 
Well, I'll bring it next oh, time. Cool. Okay. And that's the thing about Christianity. Yeah. That's the thing about Christianity. In Christianity, the whole thing, the whole essence, the whole uh, nature of Christianity is getting back to God's original design and intent, right? Um, in the fall, one man, by one man's sin, all of creation was cast into bondage and sin, right? In Jesus, through one man's obedience, all were brought back into light, at least potentially. So in a lot of senses, we have all, we who are believers, we who are followers of Christ, we have all come back, in a sense, to the Garden of Eden, Right? We have come back to that relationship with the Almighty, with the relationship of God where we can walk with Him, we can talk with Him, we can commune with Him. What was lost at the fall has been restored. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. okay. So just to reiterate that particular scripture, Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the flesh uh, over the flesh of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And of course, what sticks out there is that God created both man and woman, because it says, let them. So he created both of them in the image of God, and he told both of them, let them rule. So they were both to have authority. Um, and then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and male and female, he created them. So again, we, as a male and female role in this world, we are both created in his image. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yeah. So again, we see that God, the way that he looked at them, is he looked at them as a partnership. He looked at them as co-heirs, co-equals. He, he did not say to the man, Adam, you're going to rule over everything. You're going to name all the creatures, rule over the fish and all everything like that. Eve, you're going to assist him. You're yeah. going to be his servant. You're <laughs> going to do what he needs. You're going to be his gopher, his errand boy. Yeah. Yeah, but he said, you guys are going to rule over everything yeah. together. So in order to understand what Paul is talking about in Corinthians, we need to get an understanding of what the church in Corinthians was like. Now, we've talked about this a lot, but I just want to kind of look at it through Scripture so that we can kind of get just a fresh vision and a fresh understanding of what was happening in the Corinthian church. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, this is where we're just going to read through several chapters here. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember in me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now that word head is a Greek word called kephel, but what it means... It doesn't mean like head in the sense of authority. It means head in the sense of um, like just being accountable, right? Now it says that, that, and this is not what we're talking about precisely tonight. We're going to talk about this later. But it talks about that um, 
Christ is the head of every man, head of the, of the woman, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now we know that in the Trinity, there is no hierarchy. Right? Mm -hmm. In the Trinity, it's not like God the Father is over God the Holy Spirit, and God the Spirit is over God, uh, God the Son. There is no hierarchy in the Trinity. They are all equal with one another. So he's saying that, that man is the head of a woman just in the same way as that God is the head of Christ. So when he's saying that man is in the head of the woman here, he's not saying that he is over her in a sense of authority or superiority. Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. Um, so he says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. Now here, Paul, now everything that Paul says, all these admonitions that Paul gives, he's not just saying, well, you know what? I was thinking the other day and I was thinking that, you know, it'd really be a good thing if you guys did such and such, Right? Paul is seeing major problems in the church, and he is addressing problems specifically. At some points during this letter, he is speaking specifically to men. At some points during this letter, he is speaking specifically to women. And in all these situations, he is speaking specifically to a situation that existed in their time at that present moment, at that present time, okay? Say like, um, for instance, there was a time we were going to this one church and I was speaking to Amy, kind of whispering to her, and the pastor from the pulpit told me, Dean, you need to keep quiet, you're disturbing other people. Now, say someone got a copy of that tape and it became gospel or whatever. And 2,000 years from now, they're saying, well, every person that's named Dean has to be quiet during a service so that Amy can hear <laughs> Who would that apply to? Well, that would apply to Amy and Dean, but everybody else would be exempt, right? And so the situation is this. Paul was addressing specific situations in a specific church at a specific time, and he was talking about problems that were happening. And he, as the pastor and as the um, um, prophet evangelist, apostle. apostle of that church, as a father to them, was correcting things that needed to be corrected, correcting things that were major issues that if they weren't corrected was going to destroy this church, right? Hmm. So these are not light issues that Paul is talking about, and he's not talking about them in a light way. These are serious issues, and he's addressing them in a serious way. So immediately, Paul starts talking about women who who had their heads uncovered while praying or prophesying. Um, basically, in their times, and the thing is, is every generation has cultural mores, right? Um, we have them in our times. Uh, I can't think of anything offhand. Well, in, in the 40s, in the 30s and the 40s, it was shameful for a man to go outside without his hat, Right? I mean, everybody would wear hats back in the 40s and the 30s and things like that. Matter of fact, you see pictures of people without their hats and their heads white on the top and stuff. Um, back in the, like, think about hymn lines, how hymn lines have changed over the ages. Um, look at, it's so funny to me. If you look at pictures of the 1920s, women in their bathing suits 
they had more clothes on than, than, than some of us right now. You know what I'm saying? They were covered from head to toe. And they were a product of their culture. They were a product of our society. The people in the Bible were also products of their society. They were products of their culture. They were a product of their times and stuff. So now we already talked about greeting each other with a holy kiss. We don't do that now. We don't consider doing that now. But it's said to do that in Scripture, right? When but you we, say we are you saying like a blanket we like in general? Yeah, yeah. Just overall. <laughs> so um, so yeah, okay, so again, and it's not it's not a bad thing, it's not a good thing, it just is but we have to realize that it is what it is and that it does exist, right? And so what may have been applicable for to them may not necessarily be applicable to us now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> so anyway, again, what happens is in their times, women always wore head coverings. It's like the Muslims today. They wear their burqas, right? They will not go outside in public without their burqas. They will not go outside without having their heads covered. Now, that society in a lot of ways stems from the same society the biblical Christianity and the Old Testament and the things of the Bible stem from, okay? So think of it in that sense. The people, it was shameful for a woman to go out without a head covering. And the thing is, is a lot of times the prostitutes would do that. The prostitutes would be out in public with their heads uncovered, and so their hair was flowing and stuff like that, and it was to attract men, right? And so... Basically, so what Paul is saying, so we don't, for the most part, there are some churches that do that. There are some churches that believe women need to have their heads covered and stuff and, you know, the Mennonites and things like that. But for the most part, we don't believe that women still need to have their head covered, right? Again, it was a cultural thing that was happening for their time. For them, it was a shame for them to go outdoors without a head covering because that's what the prostitutes did. And Paul didn't want them to be considered prostitutes. He didn't want them. Again, it, it would be like the same, you don't say, it's hard to say because in our society, women wear pretty much anything or hardly nothing, even in churches and stuff. But imagine a woman coming to church, church dressed um, inappropriately, Right? For them, in their times, a woman going outdoors without a head covering was inappropriate. Or being around other people without her head covered, without just being in the presence of her husband, it was inappropriate. And so anyone that saw that would consider it inappropriate, right? And again, these were people of the times. Paul had Timothy circumcised because that's what was expected of them, even though Paul didn't believe in that, mm -hmm. right? So they were people of their time. So this applied to their century, to their generation, um, but it, it doesn't apply to ours, right? A similar, sort of good example is when we lived in Hawaii, um, people would walk into Walmart in their bathing suits all the time. People, a lot of bikinis on the beach, things like that, that here in Texas would, in the Bible Belt, would be offensive to people. But in Hawaii, it wasn't offensive at all. In fact, even when I asked my sons, I'm like, is this a problem for you? Because <laughs> like, there's girls running all over town in their bathing suits, you know, here and there. Not that every girl did it, but it was very common. 
And I'm like, is this a problem for you? And they're like, it's just why. Like, it, to them, it had become so familiar as a part of the culture that it didn't cause them to lust. You know, it wasn't a big issue. But in our culture where we're in the Bible Belt and we're more modest, it would be offensive and it would be a problem and it would be something where when the youth group gets together that the girls need to have a you know, T-shirt on. But like when the youth group did stuff in Hawaii, like this youth pastor never had that much. They didn't say, make sure you have a shirt over your bathing suit or whatever. They, it's just the culture. So Well, not only that, places like uh, Brazil and other places, they have beaches where... People, the women go topless. Yeah, that's not good. Know? But that would, again, in our society, that would be taboo, right? Yeah. In their society, it's not. So, again, you have to look, when we read the book of Corinthians, when we, when we listen to what Paul's saying, we have to, it's like the five W's of hermeneutics, right? Who, what, when, where, and why. Who was it written to? When was it written? Why? These are all cultural. These are all. And you cannot understand the Word of God without going and putting yourself in their shoes. And say, because that's who it was written to. It wasn't written to us. It was written to them. Now, we, and that's the problem with us believers in 21st century America, is we take scriptures and we think, well, everything's for me in my time right now and right here. And stuff. Rather, but anytime we study scriptures, and this is really important for, for those of us who are learning to study scripture, anytime <clears throat> we study scriptures, we have to put ourselves in their shoes first and say, what did the people who were receiving this right then and there, how did they receive it? Then we can apply it to our own lives. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. It says, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off, for it's disgraceful for a woman to have her hair Cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Um, bouncing down, well, continue on. For a man ought not to have his head uncovered or covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Again, in all kinds of churches nowadays, prayer meetings and things, people, guys are wearing ball caps and stuff all the time, right? So, um, so are they in sin? Yeah, so do, do the churches believe that women shouldn't speak do they also say that guys can't wear their heads? Hats. Hats, right? Mm -hmm. It says, for, one, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, again, look at verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Um, go down to... That, that seems good, because I used to wear my head covering all the time. Yeah. And when I went back to look at it, I was really praying about it. I had never noticed the judge for yourselves part. And so I, there's a part where it kind of seems a little confusing. Like it's um, talking about like whether or not like the man or the woman should. And it kind of seems like it's like reversed. But um, I remember just looking at the judge for yourself part and feeling like it's to our own conviction. Like if that's what yeah. we feel like we should do, we should do it. But we shouldn't put that law on someone else. We shouldn't, you know, like, feel whatever. If we do or don't, like, there's times where I feel like the Lord does want me to wear something, so I'm probably, like, giving a direct word from Him. Yeah. But I wouldn't, if nobody else has ever read that word, I don't feel like God is, is really, like, cause I don't feel like He's, like, like this about it, you know, yeah. toward them, if they don't know that. But I just feel like it's to our own conviction. I feel like that's why it says... You know, judge for yourself's part. Yeah. 
Well, the the thing is, is if I say say Paul were here today, say Paul was here right now, what would he say if he was doing this? What he would say is, women dress modestly, mm-hmm. right? Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a temptation. Because this was immodesty for them. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was I mean, just, think of a culture. if you lived in a a a society where women had their heads covered all the time. I mean, when when you look at just this part of a woman, I mean, even say like nuns and things, you know, that wear habits and things, you can only see so much. There's not a lot that you can tell about that person, right? I mean, there's it, guys are attracted by beauty, right? It's just that's the way God created guys to be. Guys are attracted by beauty, and so they follow their eyes and stuff. And so for them, when they saw a woman that had her head uncovered when they her flowing hair and things like that that was a major stumbling block for them so again paul's focus here the point that paul's getting at is modesty that's it in a nutshell and that's what we do with the word of god is we we see what paul was saying to them and the way that we apply it to ourselves well if i'm to boil down what paul's saying he's saying do things modestly as a woman guard your modesty Right? Don't flaunt yourself. Okay? Okay, so down to verse 16. Or verse 17. He says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, going back to the thing that we were just talking about, Paul wouldn't be saying this to these women if it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Right? Paul is not correcting an issue that does not exist. The Bible does not speak to situations that do not exist. Mm-hmm. So when Paul's talking to these women, there were women that were going around with their heads uncovered. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to look at, what we're going to discover about the Corinthian church is they were a people who were, fir- who were having their first taste of freedom. They lived in a very strict, convic- con- constricted, moral society that, the, that because of Christianity, because of Jesus uh, setting them free, they were tasting a freedom, both men and women were tasting a freedom that they had not experienced before, and they were going crazy with it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. So number one, there's immodesty. Number two, there's divisions in the church. He says, I hear that there divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. There must also be factions among you, so that those who approve may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in, your own, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another's drunk. I mean, think of this church. This church is messed up. And basically, what the deal is, is we saw that immediately after Pentecost, Peter goes out and he preaches 5,000 people are saved. Then he goes out again, and 4,000 people are saved. And so what's happening is that thousands of people are getting saved and coming to the Lord, and there's only a certain amount of people who can, dis- who can disciple them, mm-hmm. right? All these people are getting saved, and this is the problem with revival, okay? I'm not saying that 
it's a problem in a negative or a bad way. But this is what happens in every single move of God, every single true revival that's ever happened, is that a lot of good stuff happens, people getting saved, people getting delivered, people getting set free from their sins, but there's also a lot of weirdness that happens too. Because people are so excited spiritually, people are getting set free from their bondages and they don't know where the limit is. And they're running wild with their newfound freedom and stuff. And so when we look at the Corinthian church, it's all these new converts and there's only a certain, there were 12 disciples, right? right? And then after that, in a wider circle, there were maybe 500, you know, and stuff. So there were, so the 12, there were 12 really taught, really trained teachers in the church. Well, with Paul, 13, Stephen, other people, but there were a very small amount, right? And so they've got all these new converts on their hands. And so as you can imagine, just think if you had a church that all of a sudden is filled with brand new believers. You got a mess on your hands, right? And it takes a lot to get that under control. And so that is what Paul is trying to do in both of his letters to the Corinthians, some of his letters to the Galatians, all these churches, Paul is a father to them because he had fathered them and he felt the responsibility of a father to them. And as a father, he's like saying, guys, 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 you need to get rid of this stuff. You need to get this stuff. You need to put away this stuff. And that's the thing, guys. There's so many evangelistic type of people. It's like, all you got to do is get them saved. All you got to do is lead them to the Lord. No, that is irresponsible. And I don't like the idea personally of evangelists coming to town, getting people saved, and then leaving town. Paul never did that. Paul would come to town. He would be there for months and stuff, making sure that the people were grounded and rooted in the faith. Not just, you know, spurious believers or people that were planted by the wayside or people that were planted on the hard ground, but people that were firmly planted. And that was Paul's heart. At least raising up body to yeah. be able to if they do come in and they do a revival and people get saved and then appointing people like exactly. elders or the church to exactly. minister to those mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That was exactly. Was so I know that the culture for women back then was that if you had your hair uncovered you were considered you know kind of immodest. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what was the culture for men back there and because was it the culture for men to uh, because he also talks about how men if they cover their head like they're dishonoring God in a way yeah. and so I was wondering what was the culture for men and why yeah. would he bring that up for them well and, and that's the thing and that's the problem that we have that is the problem that we have is that we weren't fair, yeah. right? And so there's a lot of things that we don't know. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. Now, we know the Jews would pray with their heads covered. So, the men, you're saying the yeah, men. Yeah, the mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their prayer shawls and stuff like that. So I, this is a gap, right? So but that's what, interesting the, to me that I yeah. know that about the Jews. It's just interesting that the Jews would. And then, yeah, they still do that. And then he would say... And then he would say uh, that every man praying and prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head. Right. So it's 
interesting that Paul would say that. You so know? everybody, so, think on that and study it this week, and let's actually talk about that next week. Well, and just a discussion. Like, here's the thing with with things of that nature. What we do is we tie it also to the woman thing. We see that when he was speaking to the woman, it was cultural, mm-hmm. right? So he's talking to the men in the same breath, so it must be cultural also. I wonder if it was cultural among the unsaved, and the Jews were different, like because you're saying well, the Jews, Jews even covered, today still cover their heads. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering if the unsaved maybe people, the like Gentile the Gentiles, Jews maybe didn't they didn't or something, because Corinthians were definitely Gentiles. But we should all investigate that and just, that's a good question. But, but that's the thing, is that a lot of things you can search and search and not find definitive answers to. But, so when, when I do that, what I'm left with is, and that's, the, that's I mean, it's almost like lawyers in a sense, in that we, we study, we find the clues, right? Um, the clues lead us to, to where the they're going to go. Okay, and that's the thing. It's the probability. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to go with what seems to be the greatest probability, mm-hmm. the most logical, the, most, uh, the thing that fits in with the rest of Scripture, and, and those things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I mean, with the men thing, yeah, if, maybe we should study it and see if we mm-hmm. can find something. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so back to verse 21. So, again, he's, he's already addressed a couple things. And... I mean, even in the verses, the chapters before this, he's addressing multitudes of problems too. So, I mean, I mean think of this. I mean, when you're trying to help somebody, when you're trying to correct somebody, what do you do? You bring up limited things, right? Because you don't want to overwhelm them, right? So again, if Paul is bringing up all these things, then to him, it's, it's a massive, massive problem that he's dealing with, okay? Um, so again, in verse 21, he says, or verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper, one's hungry and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. So again, people were coming into the Lord's Supper. Some of them are drunk. People are pigging out. They, you know, it's like, say, like if DFH, when they had the buffet, or say, like you go to a place where there's a buffet, and people go like five times to the buffet before anyone else has had another chance to go once, right? Yeah. So these people are, are selfish. They're all about themselves. They're all about me and my situation, and in all these situations that Paul is dressing, the very root of the situation is self. Mm-hmm. Me, what my needs are, what my desires are, what I want. And that's the same with us believers today. Is that we still, you know, we get saved, but we still want what we want. And the discipleship process is the process that takes you beyond what you want and what your needs are and what makes you happy and what makes other people happy, what, what lays down its life for other people, and what lifts other people up. This is the church of God. Which is kind of the whole thing, I think, again, going back, he was addressing and wanting the women to be modest is because potentially that's a problem for other people. They may, And then he says in chapter 6, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. So he's, And then he says in that same part, that I will not do anything that causes my brother to stumble. So just because something is lawful for one Christian 
and you have the freedom. We can say that about alcohol. You may have, we may have the freedom to drink wine, but if you're causing your brother to stumble, then then it's not it's not good. And yeah, so God wants us to be yeah. right. We need yeah. to be thinking of those around us, and they obviously were not ever thinking about those around them when it came to eating meat, when it came to drinking wine, when it came to the communion, when it came to how they dressed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so skip down to verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the Lord bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Now this is, again, this is completely off the subject, but this brings me to communion. How many churches do you go to where they're just like, Okay, here's communion. Anybody wants it, come and get it, come and take it, come and... And it's like, just take it and be blessed and stuff like that. There's no self-examination. There's no, when you take the cup and drink the blood of the Lord and take and eat of the body of the Lord, it's a solemn thing. It's something that must be done in the fear and reverence of the Lord. And it's not something that you take lightly. And it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. If you're walking in open sin, if you're an unbeliever, communion is not for you. And it's not just a cup of juice and not just a cracker. It, and it's not actually the blood and body of Christ either. But, but symbolically, in our hearts and in our relationship to the Lord, it's a solemn thing. And it's something that we should do and, and not just take it as a flippant thing, but it should be something that's, that's a, again, a solemn thing. It's not something that you just do lightly. He said, because some of you do that in verse 26, um, uh, verse 29 it says for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly for this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep or a number of you are dead <laughs> we never hear that scripture read at communion <laughs> right it was read last night actually awesome. i wasn't yeah. sweet uh -huh. yeah i wasn't there during communion last night i must have missed oh, that really? yeah. Yeah. they had communion last night yeah uh -huh. yeah jeremy read it last night well, you, didn't, you didn't go to the meal. Oh, oh, that's why. I didn't go to the meal. I was like, where was I? Okay. Verse 31. It says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Again, laying down your life for each other, not just satisfying your own needs. If, anyone's at hung if any anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so, you so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So again, Paul is addressing issue after issue. Um, chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. We'll talk about that at a different time. He says, but now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries with the same Lord. There are varieties of effects with the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, why is Paul saying this? Because some people were using the gifts of the Spirit to glorify themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not that that happens in any churches today. I've never seen it. <laughs> but people were using the gifts to glorify themselves. So again, this is a church that was gifted. They had lots of gifts. They, had, they were able to, to operate in gifts. They were able to do um, miraculous things. 
And yet, Paul is correcting them because they were immature. And that's the thing.